You're listening to Speaking of Racism, the podcast dedicated to frank, honest, and respectful discussions about race and racism in the U.S. I'm your host, Jen Kinney. Pull up a chair and let's talk. Special thanks to Grapes for the music. The song is I Don't Know featuring Jay Lang. All right. So welcome back to the show, Bridget. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for good. having me. Thanks for coming back and, and talking to us. Your podcast episode before where we talked about your work at the Bellmead Plantation was one of our most popular podcasts. The last time we talked, we were both like, let's do an, an episode on Juneteenth. And so here we are. Juneteenth is coming on Wednesday. And you are a historian. Tell us a little bit about your background for those who haven't listened to the previous episode. Yeah. So I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee. I graduated from high school there, enrolled in Tennessee State University in 2009. My original major was actually communications. I wanted to be a journalist. Information mm. has always been my thing. Quickly realized that the communications department is oversaturated with tons of talent. I needed something with a smaller fishbowl. Um, <laughs> so I decided to major in history because it was my next favorite subject and it required me to take the least amount of math. So I majored in history, graduated in 2014, and in 2015 got hired on at Bellmead as a historic interpreter, which is a fancy name for a tour guide, um, and started there literally worked for one full year and went into labor at work and then took a wow. year to stay at home mom yeah tell me about it uh, <laughs> came back after a year tried to teach for a while realized that though I do love the babies children and history are not exactly my favorite melting pot of items to put together. Um, so oh. I feel much better with adults. I ended up coming back to Bellmead and they were just in the position to grow Journey to Jubilee. And it was literally like perfect timing. So I came in, they weren't even hiring, but they were like, yes, you can come back. So I came back and started off as a Journey to Jubilee coordinator. I was planning the Juneteenth events. I was recurating the exhibit um, in the slave cabin and then began to give the Journey to Jubilee tours when they launched on June 11th. Um, 2018. So Journey just turned one, my baby. Yes. Awesome. Um, and I was promoted to director probably late September, early October um, of last year. So I'm coming up on my one year mark as a director, which is just awesome. That's a blessing. And here we are today. So we're working on our second annual Juneteenth. And hopefully this is something that we can continue over time and make it bigger and better every year. Yeah. So at the plantation, your journey to Jubilee is your tour that you do, correct? Absolutely. And so Juneteenth, you actually have a celebration that you organize at the plantation you do this, yeah? I do. So tell us about that, because if you're saying was last year the first year you did a Juneteenth? celebrations? It was the first year that I had done one. They had had Juneteenth celebrations in previous years at Bellmead. I think they were earlier on because they did not have one the year that I started at Bellmead, um, nor the year after. So it's really something that I kind of brought back. And okay. my goal is to make this something that Bellmead is known for. I want Bellmead to be known for an amazing Juneteenth celebration, especially concerning African-Americans and their reluctance to visit plantation museums, which I totally understand. 
saying, right. if you've never been, let this be the first day that you come. Um, because I think that's an amazing way to see not only the plantation, but the work that this plantation is doing to interpret African-American history accurately and empathetically. That's, that's the two big things that I am a stickler for, accuracy with the facts and then empathy with this information. Mm. So this year we're doing a Black Cultural Expo, which is very different than what we did last year, which is pretty much like a launch, what was the launch of, of Journey to Jubilee as a program. So I had professors come from a few of the different colleges at, in Nashville, and I had one of the curators from the National Museum of African American Music. He came and they had, we had a panel discussion on the importance and the relevance of African American history being correctly interpreted at museums and academic sites, which was an amazing conversation. We debuted the exhibit. We debuted the new space that Journey to Jubilee was going to take place in after it had been restored. So that was just an amazing thing to say, this is what we're about to do to the historic community of Nashville. And this year we're, we're pushing in a different direction, making it more of a Black cultural expo, really trying to bring um, business to a lot of these Black businesses and making sure that we're spreading that financial gain around the table as evenly as possible. That is really cool. Tell us about what Juneteenth is. Yeah, no, Juneteenth is essentially the day that the last slaves of Texas were notified of their freedom. So general order number three um, is what it, it celebrates when um, I believe it's Major Granger made it to Texas and notified these last enslaved people that freedom had come. Um, so it, it signifies, it's a big holiday in Texas. It's always been a big holiday in Texas, but now it's beginning. It has begun to be something that is bigger for African-Americans across the board, which makes me very happy because technically on the 4th of July, we weren't <laughs> free on July 4th, 1776, that, that all men are now free and created equal did not apply to African-Americans. So I think it is very important that African-Americans celebrate Juneteenth, because that is your freedom. That mm -hmm. is the moment that America, let it be known that these people are free. Let them go. News travels fast. There was no Facebook to post it so it could go viral. People just had to be let known. And then as much as we hate to admit it, we had a lot of plantation owners that did not want to tell their slaves they were free. Mm -hmm. And this is symbolic of that moment when even those slave owners who didn't want those former slaves to go free kind of had to let them go. Like, Somebody came and tell, told them. So now we, we, we honor that day and we honor that day because that day represents the beginnings of independence for African-Americans in the South, especially. Yeah. So let me ask you, did you grow up knowing about Juneteenth? I did. I did. Um, Memphis has always done huge Juneteenth celebrations in, in various parks and things throughout, especially like North Memphis. The Douglas community has always done a big Juneteenth celebration. So I would go, grow up going to these celebrations. Um, so, yeah, I definitely knew about it growing up. I, my parents and the community that I was raised in was extremely pro-Black history and you knowing what this history means and how it relates to you. Now, did they teach about Juneteenth in history books in school? Or is this something that you learned about just through family and tradition? No, just family and tradition. Um, textbooks don't teach Juneteenth. Much African-American history is not included in textbooks. You're going to get the, I call it the, the basic facts. There were slaves, they were free. The next thing you hear about is the civil rights movement. It's like... <laughs> We went from slavery to civil rights. You might get like some Plessy versus Ferguson, some separate 
but equal in there somewhere. Brown um, v. Board. Some Brown v. Board. But then the next thing you know, it's like we're right in the segregation and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X are here and then they die and it's like Obama. Uh, <laughs> right. What happens? Um, and that's literally how it's how condensed African-American history is in many textbooks. So Juneteenth is usually excluded. OK. Yeah, it's interesting because as I was preparing to have this conversation, I thought, you know, I need to do some research on Juneteenth. I'm familiar with it in a very small sense. I have friends who celebrate it. I've heard about it. But even when I was reading about it, I misunderstood it. And I thought that Juneteenth was the celebration of the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh -huh. And I started just asking people around me, hey, have you ever heard of Juneteenth? Do you know what Juneteenth is? And hands down, every single solitary person that I spoke with had absolutely no idea what it was. Hadn't really? heard of it. There was one person who had heard of it. All of these people were white. And yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. And as I was digging in and reading about it, I was learning a lot about Texas history in particular. And, you know, I have heard stories that people were still enslaved up until the 1960s. And so I wasn't surprised to learn that there were a lot of people who didn't know that slavery had been abolished. And but it was interesting to learn about the role of Texas and what it was about this particular state that allowed for people. So what I was reading was that you had plantation owners, you had slaveholders who fled and moved to Texas after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. And they did so to avoid government reach. So I thought that was really interesting in that it only became a recognized holiday in 1980. Yeah. So it was interesting because I always knew of it as like, I mean, always listen to me. So I've known of it <laughs> since I've known of it for like the last four or five years. I've known it to be the equivalent of 4th of July, you know, the Independence Day, but I didn't even understand the basic concept of what this was and why this was celebrated. You're not just celebrating the the date that something was signed into law, but you're actually celebrating the, the knowledge. Yeah, the knowledge. You know, it's like so for years and years, you had people who had no idea this was written into law and that they were free. And yet, you're not celebrating the date it was signed in, you're celebrating the arrival of all people into that knowledge. And to me, there's something that's really powerful about that. Definitely, definitely. I think knowledge is, is the one thing that, that really has been withheld from African-American people. I think knowledge is true currency. Mm -hmm. So if you have the right knowledge, it can be flipped into currency if you know how to use the knowledge right. But when you withhold knowledge from people, that's a true disservice. So I think that Juneteenth representing the, the knowledge that you are now free is something that should continue to be echoed through the African-American community because slavery is a mentality just as much as it, as it is a physical condition. So un, until you know that you are no longer a slave, you will continue to behave as one. And I think we need to continue to drive this home, um, especially concerning African-American financial literacy, educational mm -hmm. advantage, um, political advancement, these types of things. You are free to go do all of this. You can go become financially stable. You can go get as many degrees as your heart desires. If you feel like something is wrong in the government, you can run for that office. You are free. We need to keep driving that home until everyone understands it and everyone recognizes it and uses their freedom to 
break the generational curses that are still keeping the African-American community in the position that they continue to find themselves in. So what does a Juneteenth celebration look like on the Bellmead Plantation, for example? Now, this year is going, I'm taking a different approach. So I decided to have a Black Cultural Expo. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have vendors, artists, all come together, speakers, performances. We'll be starting with an opening song from the New Covenant Christian Church, which is descendant from the Grapevine Church, which was started on the Bellmead Plantation by the enslaved. Um, having them come to open the celebration with Lift Every Voice and Sing, which of course is considered to be the Negro National Anthem. And then following that up with a welcome by me, kind of giving people an insight into what the, how far the Journey of the Jubilee program has come and what's the relevance of this day. We'll be moving into, we have two speakers, Dwight Fryer, who is the author of the Legend of Quito Road and the Needs of Gullah Island, both books focus post-emancipation with nuances of slavery time. He's taken some of the history of his family, changed some names, altered some, some stories to protect some legacies, and created this wonderful saga of family history in these two books. He happens to be my cousin, which is also very interesting. I found that out through researching who I could have as a speaker and found this guy who's my cousin that's an author. And I read both books. They're absolutely amazing. And then after that, we'll have just an up a power hour for you to go and shop with the vendors. We'll have Ashley Mintz, who is a local um, artist here. She's going to bring some of her artwork. It is for sale and she can feel free to to discuss it. A lot of her art is African-American centered. She does a lot of new art that focuses on a lot of the political things happening in the world today concerning black people. So I'm very excited to see what she brings to the table. We'll also have a Kibalon Books and Images, which is a local store here across the street from essentially right across the street from TSU. And they sell all African-American centered apparel, literature, products, shea butter, coconut oil, all these types of things, paintings, art, all types of things. It's amazing. They're going to come and bring a lot of their items. We'll also have the National Museum of African-American Music. Their representatives will be there. Tennessee State is going to be there with the booth. Meharry Medical College is going to be bringing their salt wagon clinic, and they'll be doing free blood pressure testings, glucose readings, other health-related questions. We have a bounce house for the kids. So I've tried to make this something that will involve the entire site. So even though you didn't come here for Juneteenth, you left knowing about it. That sounds amazing. And I'm just sitting here like, man, I wish I could get there. <laughs> I wish you could too. Be so oh, maybe next year I'll be able to schedule it and, and set it up because that would just be so cool to see and be a part of and just be able to support. I, I'm kind of curious and I want to explore a little bit, you know, the the nation as a whole. And I know it's hard to speak about the nation as a whole. You're in Tennessee specifically. We've talked a little bit about Texas and the unique history that Texas has. What would you like to see on a nationwide level in terms of Juneteenth celebration, acknowledgement within history books? What does that look like to you? And, and do you think more and more people are learning about this? And what do you, what do you hope for the future in this? I definitely think that more people are learning about Juneteenth. I think it's becoming much more widely popularized than it was even when I was growing up as a, a preteen teenager in Memphis. Because then even as a teenager, I would go and I kind of knew the significance of it. But I was like, party, yay. I don't think I really respected 
what the day represented until I was older. Mm -hmm. But what I would hope to see come as a result of this is Juneteenth become a national holiday. I would like this to become a nationally recognized, politically recognized holiday. I would like to see this put into you know how they have on the when you buy a calendar and it has the little like thing at the bottom that tells you what this day is. Mm -hmm. I need June 19th to say Juneteenth. America has had a reputation for not being completely accepting or acknowledging, representing things that are inherently African-American. We have, for some reason, as African-Americans, always had our own holidays and we just we just know what they are. We don't expect the rest of the world to know or care. We care and we just let it be that. But I think that some of these things do need to be nationally recognized. I'm not Irish, but I know about St. Patrick's Day. Right. I'm not Muslim, but I know about Ramadan, you know. So <laughs> I think Juneteenth is a day that should be recognized on a national scale. It needs to be recognized on a national scale. And I think it would do so much justice to current race relations for this day to be recognized so that people know when the Civil War ended in 1865, people weren't immediately free. Like it wasn't like, okay, here's Tuesday, 1865. Everybody's free today. I don't, you really have people that think that's how it happened. The Emancipation Proclamation was signed in 1863. It took two years to take effect. And then some time after that too. So. I think we need to really begin to teach, thoroughly teach the history and the legacy of slavery. And that will help us tie in why Juneteenth is so necessary as a national holiday, especially when we celebrate the 4th of July. And black people are some of the biggest papers for 4th of July. We will go buy a whole American flag outfit, top, shoes, pants, <laughs> hat, flag, fireworks. We will go in for the 4th of July. Mm -hmm. But we were not free. On July 4th, 1776. Right. So let's talk a little bit about what you said a few minutes ago. And that was, you think this will do a lot for race relations in the United States. Can you explain that a little bit more? What you think would come of that or what, what would happen as a result of that? I just think that education of culture will help race relations. I think the biggest mm -hmm. thing that is deterring us from understanding one another is a lack of cultural understanding. You don't understand why my hair locks so you're afraid of dread. You don't understand what rap music is talking about so to you it's loud racket. You don't understand that a lot of black people are inherently loud. So for you, it's uncouth. So I think when we begin to teach culture, you have an understanding of culture that will help race relations. Juneteenth is a part of black culture. And through teaching what Juneteenth is, through not just teaching that the Emancipation Proclamation happened, but teaching how the Emancipation Proclamation happened, will better help everyone understand that black people aren't just complaining because we have a horrible president. Black people are complaining because this is a continued system of injustice. This president that we have now isn't the first racist president we've had. <laughs> we had quite a right. few, actually. Right. Um, this is the one who has just been outrightly racist. So I think that it is very necessary to begin to teach African-American history in the same way that we teach American history, because we have American history and we talk about black people in it, but black people aren't the focus of American history. We're a subgenre. Whereas oh, yeah. Yeah. you have 
five, six hundred years of great white men who came and saw and conquered and took this land and made it the great nation that it is. But kind of you mean neglect- colonizers? <laughs> Absolutely. But neglecting yeah. to own at what cost to what right. people was this great nation founded? So I think we must begin to teach the entire story. That is what's going to improve race relations. Until you start teaching everyone the truth, we're going to continue to be blindsided by the truth. And that's what happens right. when you get 60-year-old white guy on my journey tour, and he's not understanding when I say that America is a white country. You're offended at that because to you, America is the home of the free and the land of the brave, and everyone here can pull themselves up by their bootstraps, and I was afforded no luxury than you were afforded. Well, sir, let me argue there. Right. Because the Emancipation Proclamation is signed. And it only frees people in the rebel states. Tennessee, for example, did not free one slave as a result of the Emancipation Proclamation because Tennessee was already rejoined into the Union by the time the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. So it did not free anybody in Tennessee. Really? Tell me about that. Absolutely not. So Tennessee is the very, very last state to succeed from the Union. But Tennessee is the very first state to rejoin the Union. So because Tennessee is is a huge state, it's split into three grand divisions, West, Middle and East. East Tennessee is dominated by the Appalachian Mountains. You really didn't have a large concentration of slaves there because you couldn't grow anything. Mm -hmm. They had no reason to have them. There were some there, but the average person has no reason to have slaves in the mountains. Middle Tennessee did not have the largest concentration of slaves, but it had the largest concentration of money. Most of the money was in Middle Tennessee. Tennessee was extremely aristocratic. West Tennessee has the largest concentration of slaves because it's closer to the Mississippi River. You can grow the cotton. Mm -hmm. You can grow the rice. You can grow the corn. All these things are going to tie into why Memphis is predominantly black today and Nashville is predominantly white. But Nashville has a larger concentration of black wealth than Memphis does because you had industrial slaves in Middle Tennessee whose jobs were able to translate into great paying jobs post-emancipation. And when you start a great paying business in 1866, imagine what you'll have in 2019. Oh, yeah. So all of these things are what needs to be taught. You have people that literally come on my journey to Jubilee tour and leave. Like, I knew none of this. I mean, I knew slavery happened. I knew slaves were freed. I knew the civil rights movement was really messed up. But gosh, I did not know that all of this went into what's happening in the black community. Yes, it's all related. And until we start teaching the full story, you are going to continue to have people that think, Why won't black people get over slavery? They're just lazy. Mm -hmm. They just complain. They don't want to work. No, there has been a system of 400 years of systematic injustice and oppression and disenfranchisement that has held a culture down. The people that have managed to escape, they're the ones that we should really be talking to, the ones that decoded the matrix. Mm, Yeah. Well, and I feel like the way that we teach history and present history and the whitewashed nature of history in your typical American school, it represents something deeper, right? You've got people who are telling a story that they want to tell, hence your gentleman who was on your tour, who was just bowled over by the idea or the statement that the United States has a very dark history in a lot of ways. Um, 
but I'm looking at an article that I actually shared today, in, and it's in Vox, and it's called Why Celebrating Juneteenth is More Important Now Than Ever. And it's interesting because it talks about, and its subtitle is, It's Time for America to Truly Grapple with Its Legacy of Slavery. And this is just something. Like, people, when they say, you need to get over slavery, the reality is we've never actually even dealt with it, right? And so you have, as far as I can see, there's just this chasm in experience, in understanding. And Mark Charles, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Mark Charles is an activist who mm-hmm. writes and speaks and teaches all over the country. He's an indigenous American mm-hmm. and he quotes somebody and I don't remember who it is, but he uses this quote a lot and it's where I heard it, where he says, we have a shared history, but we do not have a shared memory. Mm-hmm. And that, that, right, that sums it up to me in so many ways, because we do have this shared history, and yet we don't have this shared memory. And the reason we don't have this shared memory is because it was designed that we would not. And so I know that people lament today, thinking that race relations are worse than they've ever been, and tension is high, and all of this stuff. But they're the no reality is, <laughs> exactly, it's yeah, not that they're worse. It's, it's that, that you're, you're finally, generation. yeah, it's like you're finally aware of it because of social media, because of the fact that people are starting to come into contact more. People are moving more, moving into cities. And, and so people are like, oh my gosh, it's gotten like the, the thing that I hear a lot from people on the right, like white folks on the right, they'll talk about how, oh, racism is just getting worse or racial tension is just getting worse. And it's because we talk about it too much. And it's because the media focuses on it too much. And this is their thing that they truly believe with every fiber of their being. And it's just like, it's hard to share experience with somebody because experience, I think, is so much more valuable. Yeah, it's like, no, yeah. no, this is this has been going on since the beginning. Like, you're just waking up to it. Just because you're waking up to it doesn't mean the way you, you know, like your diagnosis of the tension is correct, right? So, I mean, I find that interesting, frustrating, but um, I think it's just, it's important to note that we do have the shared history, but we don't have a shared memory. And so what has that done to us as people? How has that impacted us relationally? What, you know, like, what is the intention of acknowledging and celebrating this history? And how can that heal? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I think using history to definitely heal race relations, we just have to finally face it. I asked a, a, a a lot of open-ended questions on my tour because they're not meant for you to answer me right now. This is something for you to pack in your lunchbox and take home with you and open it later and sit with it. And one of those questions as I'm discussing the role of children in the plantation system and how master's children and slave children would all play together. I ask this question about when it comes down to telling these two children when they get to a specific age, one person finds out that they're a slave. One person finds out that they're the master. Between the ages of 8 and 12, which in many cases is when this separation happens, what do you do with that information? How do you process it at that age? Most important questions are what did this information do to each party? Then what did that information do to us over time? Because the only thing that we essentially 
really did over time is perpetuate these same notions down generational lines. Before you knew it, you had raised a generation of people that inherited the same world, but had two completely separate perspectives on it. You had raised one generation of people that seemingly continue to struggle with self-image and self-worth and self-acceptance. They have financial illiteracies and educational disadvantages. But on the other side, you raised the polar opposite. You raised a generation of people that were able to become entitled to their views and their opinions because those views and opinions were never challenged before. Because the past did nothing but bleed into the present. Because a nation that didn't learn from its history the first time around has done nothing but continue to repeat it over time. So it is necessary that we begin to tell the story truthfully. It's necessary that people like me begin to tell this story truthfully because there's so much power and agency in representation and space. You come mm-hmm. to a plantation tour, you hear a tour about slavery from a young black girl that is the descendant of slaves, and that's going to tell you that I'm the descendant of slaves after giving you an hour-long talk on the legacy of this institution. By the end of the tour, people are in tears, and I didn't know this happened. I just never thought of it that way. I never looked at it that way. Because what I've began to realize is that for your average white person, you've been able to live in this bubble, right? Mm -hmm. And this bubble is safe. This bubble is comfortable. This bubble is happy. This bubble allows you to look at the rest of the world and say, why are they so mad? Life Mm -hmm. is great. But Mm -hmm. then you have so many people that have existed on the outside of that bubble looking at the bubble saying, if I could just get into the bubble, I just want to get into the bubble. I want to get into a comfortable space. I want to get into a safe space. But the bubble prevents you from getting into it. And that bubble is racism. That bubble is institutionalized racism, structural racism. That bubble is bias. That bubble is prejudice. That bubble is stereotyping. That bubble that allows some people to stay in and others to stay out is what we need to do away with. Until you sit on the same ground floor that I sit on and know the issues that I face, that bubble is going to keep us separated. It takes us to be willing to be uncomfortable to learn and grow. Mm-hmm. Most I think that's so person key. doesn't want to be uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. And that's an interesting psychological process to observe and to have even been in myself as a white woman, you know, kind of going through this unraveling of like, wait, I thought this was the greatest country on the earth. And if it's the greatest country on the earth, how can it be this and this? And how do we hold space for the fact that while there are very good things about the nation, there are very horrendous things about the nation, you know, and that's an interesting thing to watch people kind of struggle through, like this guy that you're talking about who was on your tour and having struggled through that on levels myself as well. So you talked about the importance of history and understanding history. And this is something that comes up a lot on this podcast. The purpose of understanding history is if we don't understand it, we're doomed to repeat it right? Most people have heard this statement. So how has the history of slavery and how has that history manifested differently, right? Because people want to say, oh, slavery is over. How has it shifted and changed to today? Yeah. So, oh man, that's the good, this is one of the best questions I think I've ever been asked. Oh. So slavery was a psychological breaking of a people in the culture. It was a physical breaking, but the most detrimental part was the psychological breaking. You kept people from legally being able to know how to read and write. You've kept them political gain. You've kept them from financial gain. You kept them out of universities schools and you've kept them from having the best medical care you've literally given black people the short end of the stick for 400 years and then wonder why black people are angry 
because right. we know this to be true, but there is a large population of white people that for some reason think that one day black people woke up with an attitude on Tuesday or something. Right. And I think that is so interesting that white people have had the ability to be this ignorant. Like you have been blessed with the, the privilege to be woefully ignorant on everyone's culture but your own. Do you know Amen. what the privilege it is? <laughs> like, I think that is amazing that the, the world has afforded you the luxury of not knowing anything about anyone but yourself. Mm-hmm. So you go into these communities, which is where you see it the most with gentrification. Mm-hmm. You go into these communities that are essentially the hood. These are black communities. They have black traditions. They have black ways of doing things. And you don't come here and attempt to learn the ways of that community. You come here and bring your traditions to a community that already has traditions and cultures. Right. And you expect them to adapt to you. Right. I think the most interesting thing that's happened recently is uh, what's going on with Howard University. And Howard University is also along with like the Fisk University and Morehouse Spellman. They're considered to be the Black Ivy League. Mm-hmm. Howard University has been there forever. It is one of the oldest African-American institutions of higher learning in America. And the area that Howard sits in has historically always been a black area, but gentrification is happening. So recently there has been an issue about these new white residents coming to walk their dogs on the yard. And the yard is is a black way of saying pretty much the campus. And for black people, this isn't a space for you to just come walk your dog. Like it's a sacred ground to us. There's so much so much history and so much legacy here in this space. But they did an interview with one guy and he's a white guy. And he said, Well if they don't want us to walk their walk our dogs over here, then they should move the school. Oh yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So you mean the school that has been here since like 1867? You mean the school that was founded in a black area for black people to safely learn around people that look like them, that accept them, that want them there? So you mean that you're going to move in and they should move because you move in. Do you, the privilege <laughs> that that takes for you to say something like that and think that you are right is astounding to me. So I think we see the the legacy of slavery in just the privilege that so many white people have when it comes to the things that they feel like they're entitled to be able to do. You see this a lot now with social media, with these women going viral, um, backyard Becky and poolside Patty, these women who are calling the police on black people for existing, Mm -hmm. for literally existing. The fact that you felt the need to do that. You have the incident with the guy in St. Louis trying to go to his high rise and young white girl standing outside. She's like, I need to see your fob. I need to know that you live here. Why? Mm -hmm. Why? Right. Can you get out of my way? I want to go home. Well, I just need to know that you live here. I've never seen you before. Who are you to tell me where I should and cannot be going? Literally followed him all the way up to his apartment. Oh, yeah. Well, you could have just showed me. I didn't have to show you anything. This this privilege is amazing to me. I am astounded every time it rears its face. That, that's the legacy that slavery has left, that black people are still having to show proof of their existence. Right. In spaces where they have usually never existed before because of financial barriers. Yeah. And that that's an interesting thing to me because I feel like the more, I mean, in part, we are seeing it more because of social media and our platforms and video cameras and our telephones and those sorts of things. But it also, I've talked to people who feel like it's also increasing, but they 
they've expressed that they think it's increasing in part because, like you said, people are moving into spaces that they weren't previously able to move into. And in doing so, we're running into situations where racism that has been there all along is just coming to the surface. Mm -hmm. And I think that's particularly interesting and true in the North and being from the North and growing up with this idea that we don't have racism in the North. That's in the South. We were a state that fought for the freedom. That's a common misconception about Northern states in relation to racism, mm -hmm. that because the North didn't have slaves, that they were inherently less racist than the South, when honestly, I think that slaves not being in the South had more to do with agricultural production than anything. Exactly. You could grow more in the South because of the climate. Precisely. So that's where they were needed. Right. It wasn't like racist people didn't go settle in the North. No, they went there too. They just didn't have a need for slaves. So inherently slavery became something in the South. And as far as it goes to people in the North being the, the Union and the South being the Confederacy, quote unquote, on both of those, I think we have to acknowledge that Abraham Lincoln, first of all, was not inherently anti-slavery. His goal was to preserve the Union. Exactly. He even said that if I can preserve the Union and not, not free a single slave, then he would. It wasn't like he was out here like, no, slavery is a moral wrong. Yeah, he thought it was wrong, but I don't think he really cared in that way. It was, I mean, the, the politics of the time believe that this slavery issue would eventually rectify itself. Like, eventually they'll figure it out. They argued it at the, the signing of the Declaration of Independence and the forming of the Constitution. Slavery is argued as early as America has been America. It has been an issue. And so now we're seeing the results of that. You set 4 million illiterate people free for the most part in 1865. You then create systems that keep these same people that you have kept down even lower. You institute things like separate versus equal. You institute things like Jim Crow laws. These same laws are nothing but black codes all over again. Right. Um, and we've just continued to see this, this, this repetition of the same things throughout generations and years. So until we are able to look at racism for what it is, acknowledge where it comes from, and acknowledge that the vast majority of white people are inherently racist, whether they will admit it or not, until you're able to deal with that in yourself. Mm -hmm. We're not going to go anywhere. Yeah. And you see it, especially with gentrification. You can't move into a black area and then be scared of the black people. That ain't how they work. Right. Yeah. But, it, oh, and it's amazing. You can't decide that you're going to police a black community and then be scared of black people. And every time oh. you feel like you're quote unquote in fear for your life, you shouldn't kill somebody. Mm -hmm. And then you're able to get off because you were in fear for your life. I'm in fear for my life, too. As soon as I saw you, but that didn't save my life. Mm -hmm. When do we look at this from the other side of the fence? Right. Yeah. We have to change the narrative, right? Like we have to do the work to continue shaking people up, you know? And I think that's what's so powerful about what you do, because we need white allies to talk to white people because there is a different reach when someone white tells white people that they are racist. It reaches you different when it's like, you look like me. How do you feel this way? Mm -hmm. Here's a question for you. What do you feel is the role? Because one of the things that I was reading in the conversation about Juneteenth is, you know, it's largely been looked at as a black holiday. And it's interesting because you had kind of talked about this, the fact that like for you and for many other African-Americans, like you have holidays that you celebrate, you don't 
don't have an expectation that other people are going to do that or get that. And you live your life and that you would like to see it become a nationally recognized holiday. What role would you like to see the whole of the country play in these celebrations and these acknowledgements? Like, what does it look like for a family to celebrate Juneteenth? And how would people do that and acknowledge that in a way that's respectful and not like cultural appropriation, you know, or whatever? Like, what what do you think that could look like for people? Nashville, for example, has a ton of things happening in between today and next Saturday in, in respect of Juneteenth. So take your Take your family to one of the Juneteenth celebrations, especially the ones that are working to encourage and uplift black businesses. Yes. Go spend your money with the, the black businesses. If you want to celebrate Juneteenth, that's a way to do it. Go enhance the financial standing of the black community. Take your children to the African drum show. Let them see African culture up close. I love when Nashville does the African Street Festival here every September. And when I see more and more white people coming, but coming and literally just grabbing a seat and just looking like, this is amazing. Look at the kente cloth. Listen to the music. Smell the food. Go buy some shea butter. Go get some coconut oil. You know, just be in that space and be appreciative of it. Don't try to control that space. That's how you can help us celebrate Juneteenth. That's how we can make this something that is a cross-cultural experience. That'll help white people to not only learn about it, but grow to appreciate it. If you have a question, ask somebody. Just ask. I think it's just more of a outlook of appreciation than anything else. I think that's the one thing that, that black people would like. Just appreciate our culture. Don't appropriate it. Appreciate it. That's awesome. I love that. And as you're talking, I'm looking up local Juneteenth activities in Detroit, and there are a ton of them, a ton of them. But I had to actually go and Google it and look it up. It's, it's out there. You just got to find it. There's a ton of things. Juneteenth is huge. And I think it's so amazing when, when I meet white people that are like, I've never heard of it. And I think instead of looking that, at that as a negative, I use it as a moment to educate. Like, oh, well, great. So let me tell you about it. Mm -hmm. And usually you'll be surprised to find that they're like, oh, wow, I feel bad that I didn't know that, but I did not know that. <laughs> Where can I go? I would love to see this. That's so awesome. And that's why I'm so excited for what Bell Mead is doing on that day, because we still have a large white audience. And to have African drummers on a plantation, do you know how full circle that oh, is? Yeah. Um, to have New Covenant Christian Church come and be the, the descendants of the Grapevine Church that was founded on this plantation in slavery come and open with Lift Every Voice and Sing, which is the Negro National Anthem. You know how full circle that is? Mm. Um, I had sponsors pay for 60 African Americans to get into the site for free. Um, just because I want you to come and see this moment and see it for what it is. This is huge. And I think we're nearing closer and closer to Juneteenth becoming a national holiday. I think it's just going to take a little bit more pushing from from the people that are the black people that are at the political top of the, the totem pole. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing what you're doing at Bell Mead, what people can do in their local communities and how they can join in on the celebration and also what we need to be doing in, in terms of conversation with one another and getting this onto a larger platform where we make this a national holiday. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm always excited to be on your show. Our conversations are always absolutely amazing. So y'all get out there and find y'all a Juneteenth celebration. Go get some barbecue, honey, because it is. I'm sure that there is good food being cooked in Detroit. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on and talking to me today. Thank you so much for having me. I totally appreciate it. Hey, guys, Jen here. I just wanted to hop on and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support of Speaking of Racism. We could not do this without you guys. So if you like this podcast and you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe, follow, share with your friends. Most importantly, if you could stop and review us on iTunes, which I guess now is called Apple Podcasts. I'm not really sure about any of that at this point because, you know, I just talk behind a microphone. I'm not a techie person. Um, The point is, if you like what we're doing, if you're interested in being a guest or having a conversation on the podcast, get in touch with us. Let us know. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, as Speaking of Racism. And tune in for next week's show with Maisha T. from Check Your Privilege. She and I are going to discuss the book by Dr. Crystal Fleming called How to Be Less Stupid About Race. Thanks.